Welcome back. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri and John Still, uh, we are with you till 1 o'clock. We'll break down, we'll continue to break down uh, the Eric Stahl acquisition by the Montreal Canadiens a little bit later on with Mo- the Montreal Gazette's Andrew Berkshire. That goes just after 1235. Uh, but it's a pleasure to welcome back to the show, good friend of the program, good friend of mine and yours, uh, to break down the Formula One racing scene qualifying officially wrapped up uh, just a few moments ago. Tim Haraney. Timmy, what's going on? Hey, Joey. How are you, man? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing even better now that you're on the phone. I appreciate you not big-timing me this morning and uh, giving us a few minutes. <laughs> I always got time so, for you, buddy. You know that. Yeah, sure. Of course you do. <laughs> uh, so, look, Max Verstappen qualifies first. Uh, Lewis Hamilton in second. They're going to be at the front of the grid. Uh, Verstappen's just been flying through the practices, obviously had a good qualifying. I think the big question, big picture is, is there any way – that he can overtake Lewis Hamilton when the season's all said and done? I think he can. Um, having a, just having a look at how much work Red Bull has put into this season's car, I mean, if we go all the way back, so if we go all the way back to, say, let's say Bahrain last season, they were making steady improvements to get this car closer to Mercedes. Then Mercedes actually stopped developing their race car and in preparations of developing their race car for the following season where Red Bull, they never stopped. They kept developing their car. Mm -hmm. They put in a ton of time uh, throughout the winter. And now, you know, you're really starting to see those benefits uh, pay off, even though, yes, you know, it's a four tenth gap. And some folks may think, well, you know, four tenths of a second is not much, but when you're talking about formula one, it's actually quite a, quite a bit of time um it's going to be it's going to be a battle between both Verstappen and Hamilton we may even see Bottas play a role here we may even see Verstappen's new teammate Sergio Perez play a role at some point during the season but honestly Joey like this this season that we're about to watch I, I think is going to be one of the best we've seen in quite a while yeah, because it's, it's just you want to have that competitive balance, right, Tim? And I think that's mm-hmm. obviously what's been lacking. It Listen, I enjoy watching greatness in any sport. So I, I'm not discounting what Lewis Hamilton's done, but I think if you mm-hmm. want to attract uh, more viewers and you want to keep the viewers with you deeper mm-hmm. into the season, you, you need to have some type of balance. And I, I just I think that's what people are looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think if we go... So if we go back to like 2017, you know, Liberty Media, they had purchased Formula One, spending billions and billions of dollars to to buy this uh, property. Now, Liberty Media is an American-owned and run company, and mm-hmm. they do things different in North America with in terms of their sports, right? Like we've got baseball now, it's... Uh, let's say the NBA now, you know, budget caps, same with the NHL, you've got budget caps. The thing with Formula One at the time when Liberty Media came in, there were no budget caps. These teams were spending hundreds of millions of dollars throughout their seasons. And, you know, that wasn't only just affecting what we were watching on television. It was also affecting the teams and how long were they going to survive in Formula One because financially it just wasn't a smart business model. So, Liberty Media got all these teams together, and for years they worked on a system where they could finally implement a budget cap for these teams. So now you're starting to see that. You know, this season 
that we're in now, there is a budget cap of $145 million. You cannot go over that. And if you do, you get penalized championship points. If you get penalized championship points, you then lose a lot of money. So yeah. I think what Liberty Media has, has done coming in and kind of just reorganizing Formula One, the way they do things competitively and in a business sense, I think we're going to start seeing that now. And, and we already actually are on the, on the racetrack for today's qualifying. We're previewing the F1 season with TSN Racing Analyst Tim Haraney on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. All right, so Verstappen first, Lewis Hamilton qualifies second. We mentioned Botas a little bit there. He's in third. But I like I like seeing the red in four. Charles Leclerc qualifies in fourth, and Carlos signs in eighth. Uh, I like to remind people that I did have a Ferrari knapsack back in high school, so I am a, a fan of Ferrari. But what's your expectation for them this year? And how do you think the dynamic between Leclerc and Sainz ends up playing out? Because, Tim, I always like when there's a bit of competition between the two drivers. I think it, it brings out the best in each one, and it gives the team a better chance of finishing higher. Absolutely. But, you know, it's one of those things where you have to have the right balance of, of teammates who can work together to push each other and then push the team as well. Uh, you know, when I was... When I was racing, that was that was such a big thing, right? It was always making sure that you and your teammates were, you know, staying relatively nice to each other while pushing each other as hard as you could on the racetrack. So I think the, the balance between Leclerc and, and, and Science is better than Leclerc and Vettel because, you know, obviously Vettel didn't really like this, you know, young, very <laughs> yeah. talented driver coming in and, starting to take over his position within the team and then the team really starting to lean a lot on on Leclerc and now they brought in another driver in Carlos Sainz who is a team player he, he is let's be honest you know he's been on some teams in the past where he's really had to take a back seat he had to take a back seat with uh, Max Verstappen when they were teammates at, at Toro Rosso so I think for Ferrari this is a good thing. I was talking with Lance Stroll on Thursday. You know, he was mentioning to me that one of the teams that he and, the, and his team were really worried about was Ferrari because they had such a disastrous season in 2020. Yeah. Like, it was horrible. And he was basically thinking that they were going to be one of the teams that's made the most improvements. And, you know, he, he wasn't wrong because they look really strong today. I just want to be clear, uh, Tim. I don't have the uh, Ferrari backpack anymore. That was uh, that was my teenage <laughs> years. All right. I just want to be clear. There is Tim Haredi joining us on Saturday Sports on TSN six ninety. All right. You mentioned Stroll. Uh, how did the? I, I love the look of the car. I love that shade of green from uh, Aston Martin. By the way, uh, he qualified in tenth today. Uh, what did we learn about Stroll uh, during this qualifying session here in Bahrain? I think one of the things that we did. Uh, did learn is that they need more time with this race car. So uh, for those who don't know, before Formula One starts their season, they do what's called a preseason test. Everyone brings their cars to the track. They test their parts. They test the cars. They try and see, you know, how are things uh, mechanically? Are they going to have issues? Aston Martin had a lot of issues during their during their preseason testing. They They didn't get a lot of running where, say, Red Bull – who had incredible reliability over their preseason testing, they did a great job, and they got a ton of data. They got a ton of information. But Austin Martin, they didn't really get that because of all of the issues that they suffered. So coming into this weekend, they're really on the back foot. They don't really know this race car just yet. They don't really know what does it like, what does it not like. And 
for Sebastian Vettel, who's new on this team, that's tough for him. You know, we saw him out in Q1. I mean, it was not a good day for Sebastian Vettel. But then watching Lance, listening to him on team radio, it really sounded like I was listening to a very mature driver who led the team in the direction that they needed to go with setup and setup of the race car. How can they get grip into the rear tires when Lance is trying to be aggressive with the throttle pedal, accelerating out of the corner? Because sometimes I was listening, you could hear the wheel spin. So that means there's not a lot of downforce in the rear of the car. And so he did a really great job of leading them in the right direction to set themselves up for a really solid run in Q3. I think the team at the time didn't even think they were going to get into Q3, and and he was able to lead them there. So, I mean, that's a really positive sign, and it's a good start, I think, to their season. Uh, that's right. So you mentioned Vettel was out in Q1. He qualifies 18th. That's where he'll, that's where he'll start on Sunday. Uh, Mick Schumacher, uh, 19th. He was out in Q1 as well. Uh, your expectation for him this year, and uh, how do you feel he looked today? Yeah, the things with uh, the, with Mick is just learn, right? I mean, he's he's in a car that's you know extremely difficult to drive. We saw how difficult it it was to drive with the likes of Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen last season. Both of those drivers are now gone from that from that team. Uh, but it's it's a similar car uh, to last season. They haven't made a lot of changes to it. You know, a big thing with them is just trying to save money get through this season unscathed and get themselves set up for a solid 2022 when there are, is a big regulation change with these race cars. So uh, for, for Mick, it's just get the seat time, learn as much as you can, um, and really learn as much as you can from each uh, session because every session in Formula One is different. The cars are doing different things. You're uh, the the tasks you have to do are different as well, and all in all, that's a lot of information for a really young driver to to take in and to break down. So I think for Mick tomorrow, uh, just keep it clean for the race. Don't spin. Try to stay away from locking up the tires. Learn as much as you can and just finish the race. It's one of the biggest things for a rookie in any racing is you always want to make sure you finish your first race and the races that come after because of all the information you learn. The car changes throughout, you know, throughout a race. And, you know, you have to learn how does it change, and then you have to evolve with the car as it changes. Timmy, thanks for doing this, man. We appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again real soon, and uh, stay out of trouble, all right? Yeah, anything for you, buddy, okay? Anything for you. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate it. Uh, be well, man. It's great to hear your voice. Yeah, it's Tim Haredi, TSN Racing Analyst, previewing the F1 season with us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Of course, uh, we were on the air from, uh, as of 11, we were listening to Mark Bergeron's press conference, so I had one eye on the qualifying and uh, one eye on Mark Bergeron, but uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about this Formula One season, and uh, it is a true story. I did have a red Ferrari backpack, and what other F1 gear did I have that I, I had a, I actually had a Ralph Schumacher Williams BMW hat. I'm not entirely sure why, uh, but I did wear that hat out uh, quite a bit. Was always a fan of the, the Schumachers, of course, and 
that uh, Schumacher, Michael Schumacher, Mika Hakkinen rivalry, uh, of course. But uh, hoping that uh, Ferrari gets to do something uh, significant. They get to do more damage this year than they did a year ago. Uh, John, still, I'm curious, uh, Formula One, like, were you a big time Formula One fan growing up? No, not at all. Um, real, honestly, I've only gotten into it uh, so far this year. My little brother, uh, bless his heart, is a uh, is a mechanic. No, no, no. I'm saying oh, bless. Really? I'm saying bless his heart because he tries over and over again to try and get me uh, interested in not only F1 but just cars in general. And it's just yeah. it's something that I am incredibly ignorant and stupid about. Honestly, just when it comes to day to day maintenance of your car, uh, change the brakes, sure. Change the tires, sure. Other than that. Uh, not able to do much, but um, yeah, he definitely got me into it uh, this year, especially with the uh, F1 uh, Drive to Survive. I feel like that's a lot of people, uh, their introduction to the yeah. sport more recently has been how that Netflix series has absolutely taken off and given a behind-the-scenes look into uh, the day-to-day and the rivalries within Formula One, but uh, I, I think that it's clearly on the rise right now and uh, the fact that Verstappen takes the first pole of the season um, it can only do uh, good for people like me who don't want to see Lewis Hamilton win every single year. I'd like to see uh, a real uh, competitive season and hopefully uh, Red Bull and Verstappen can give that to Mercedes. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri, John still with you till one o'clock. I do want to talk a little bit more hockey. Mark Bergevin had some interesting comments and an interesting chuckle uh, when asked about Cole Caulfield earlier today, uh, something stood out to me. I'll tell you what that was on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Marc, tu pas sans savoir qu'il y a beaucoup d'effervescence autour de Cole Caulfield à Montréal. Les partisans l'aiment déjà puis ils ne l'ont pas vu encore dans la Ligue nationale. Euh, ton expérience d'homme de hockey, qu'est-ce qui est le mieux pour lui à ce stade-ci? Et mieux pour le Canadien en même temps, là, parce que le bien pour Caulfield est le bien pour le Canadien. Ouais. Laisse-moi y penser, je vais te revenir avec ça une couple de jours. <rire> Est-ce que tu es confiant d'en arriver à une entente bientôt avec lui? Est-ce que tu peux répondre à celle-là? Oh, boy, boy. Comment je pourrais te dire ça? Laisse-moi y penser, Martin, je vais te revenir là-dessus. Welcome back, Saturday Sports, TSN 690, Joey Alfieri, John, still with you till 1 o'clock. We'll be talking to the Montreal Gazette's Andrew Berkshire about the Eric Stahl trade and the impact that Cole Caulfield might make on the Canadiens roster uh, heading into the second half of the season, whenever they can start that. Uh, that goes just after 12.35, so less than 10 minutes away. Uh, but the the answers on Cole Caulfield were interesting. Very giddy, Mark Bergevin didn't want to uh, tip his hand too much. He also let it slide. Uh, at one point, he was asked, you know, what's the timeline for a Caulfield deal to be done? And he kind of laughed and he said, les prochaines, and you like, he wanted to say hours first, uh, and then caught himself and said hours, days, weeks, months. Uh, but it just, it seemed like he tipped his hand a little bit and caught himself. And then he was pressed on it later on and did mention that uh, don't read too much into the hours thing. But listen, I, I think this is going to get done sooner rather than later. I think Montreal wants, Caulfield signed, uh, especially after the year he just had. I think sending him back to school last year was the right call. I think getting him out of school this year uh, is the right call. Now, does he start in Laval? Does he start in the NHL? I personally think he's going to be around the main group, uh, but I also think 
there needs to be some type of salary cap gymnastics that need to be done uh, just because uh, I don't know that they can add an entry-level contract at this point. Uh, they need to find somebody to take someone off their roster. So uh, we'll see how it all pans out. And maybe that's why it takes days or weeks uh, for Caulfield to officially be signed, just because they might have to create some cap room for him. And maybe he starts on the taxi squad uh, and, and then they take it from there. But I, I thought it was interesting that he kind of caught himself saying hours uh, and then changed it up and, and and clarified that it might be weeks and days and whatnot. But look, I don't know. I, I think Cole Caulfield, at some point this season, I think you're going to see him with the Montreal Canadiens because now that they have stall, I really do think that money is extremely tight, obviously tighter than it was before. So I don't know that they're going to be able to to make another addition to this roster. So that might be the other move that they can make. They get stall out a veteran down the middle, and then you bring in Caulfield and maybe he scores goals right away. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's another threat on the power play and doesn't make much of an impact at five on five. Uh, but it certainly seems like it's just uh, a matter of uh, a matter of waiting it out, but it certainly looks like he's going to be there uh, in the near future. So really curious to see. It's a big leap going from the college ranks uh, with Wisconsin to, to jumping to pro hockey is uh, is no joke. It is serious, and uh, we'll see what type of an impact he can make this season, if any at all, with the Montreal Canadiens. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Uh, we know what Eric Stahl's traditional numbers look like this year, but what do his advanced metrics say about his game? The Gazette's Andrew Berkshire will break that down for us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. He brings, you know, he's a, you know, he's got size, he's got experience. You know, a center is a center. There's, there's, it's always, there's always a premium on centermen and defensemen uh, down the stretch. So, uh, again, with with a lot of picks we had, I felt like a third. You know, it's those are good picks. There's players in every round. So, uh, but we have still have two third and uh, two fifth, and we picked a lot last year. So we, I felt comfortable to giving up these two assets to uh, acquire Eric. Welcome back to Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri, John Still, we're with you till 1 o'clock. And uh, that was Mark Bergevin on TSN 690 earlier on today talking about his latest acquisition, Eric Stahl. And to talk about that and a little bit more, we bring in from the Montreal Gazette, Andrew Berkshire. Andrew, what's going on, man? How are you? Not much, man. Doing pretty well. How about you guys? Uh, pretty good, man. Pretty good. We got finally some Canadians news to talk about on the radio yesterday. So that was fun after a, a bit of a quiet week. Uh, but I want to start with our uh, question of the day. And uh, look, I realize that the, these careers aren't over yet. But uh, if you had to choose one career, which one would you rather have? Eric Stahl, Corey Perry, or Shea Weber? Ooh, Eric Stahl. Yeah? Eric Stahl, yeah. I think Corey Perry probably had the higher high, but Eric Stahl has been so good for so long. You know, uh, they both won a Stanley Cup, which is pretty great. But I think Eric Stahl is just, a higher impact player for a longer period of time. Not to diminish Perry, because he's awesome, but, uh, you know, he's the center as well. I think if Carolina had gotten their things together a little bit earlier, we'd be viewing Eric Stahl as, uh, like, pretty close to a Hall of Famer. He was that good, in my opinion. Yeah, I always, always appreciated Eric Stahl, and uh, I'm, I'm there with you. I go Perry, and the only reason I did, because they're actually very close in career salary too. I think there's like less than a million dollars between them. Uh, Perry made 86 and change, and Stahl made 85 and change so far. Uh, but Perry's leading the poll at 60.2 percent, 
And I think that has a lot to do with the Rocket Richard and the Hart Trophy. I think mm-hmm. adding that to your hardware cabinet makes a significant difference. But you're right. Uh, they both have cups. And I-, I think all three of these guys are going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Now, don't ask me if they're first ballot or not, but I think they're all Hall of Famers. Yeah, I mean, I think you can make a very good argument for all three of them. I think that based on, you know, there, there's like a like an equation about how likely someone is to go in the Hall of Fame. And like, if you win an individual award, it's pretty much a guarantee. But it's like extremely, extremely hard to get in. You usually have a very long wait without winning any, any individual award, any Stanley Cup, like any of that kind of stuff in the NHL. International competition just doesn't seem to weigh too heavily. So like, from that argument, you could say maybe Shea Weber might wait a little bit. But I think you look at the respect that people around the game have for him, and I don't think it would be very long. John? Andrew, I wanted to ask you because uh, yesterday when I was doing the uh, press review with Connor McKenna, I, I pointed to your article uh, via your substack on uh, the, the Tim Peel um, and refereeing in the National Hockey League. And I thought it was very informative when it came to uh, the amount of penalties that are actually called in the National Hockey League. Before we get into the Eric Stahl, Cole Caulfield, all of the meat potatoes that Mark Bergevin uh, spoke about today, could you talk a little bit more about that article? Because uh, it did bring up some uh, some fascinating numbers for me yeah so it's obviously like the the big sticking point is that the the nhl kind of putting it all on tim peel the whole game management thing and him calling a penalty because he feels like he needs to even things up and you know saying the quiet part out loud pretending that it's only on him is, is a farce you know like we had referees just the other day uh talking to the benches covering their microphones so they can't be caught on the hot mic like there are things that are happen on the ice that are commonplace in hockey and that are accepted that fans don't like. You know, like, <laughs> makeup calls fans don't like, but the, it's not about makeup calls. I think makeup calls are like part of the fabric of the game, right? Like, you make a mistake, you're human, you want to make up for it. But there is a part of the NHL that wants things to stay from, uh, keep from getting out of hand. So when one team is up like 4 nothing in the third period and they're still dominating, how often do we see a parade to the penalty box by the team that's winning? And sometimes it's just, uh, it, it could just keep it for nothing. Sometimes it breaks sleeves shutout. Sometimes it cues a full-on comeback, you know? And that kind of stuff, when they talk about integrity of the game, they hit the nail on the head accidentally, you know? Like, they're putting it all on Tim Peel. But it is in, interrupting the f- integrity of the game. And it happens in the playoffs, too. So this kind of stuff... It just can't happen in a league that wants people to take itself seriously. You know, like, there's a reason why, there's many reasons why hockey is not as popular as the other big four in North America, but part of it is they've got to get their stuff together. Like, there's too many things in this league that they operate like a garage league. We can talk about head hits, the officiating, and I don't think that the issue is the officials. And I tried to drive that point home in the Substack piece, maybe not as strongly as I intended to, but I don't think the officials are the problem. Everyone wants to say, like, oh, the refs are bad, the refs are bad. The refs get mixed messaging. You know, if you're told to do something and then people don't like it, you know, you can't really blame the ref. You know, they do what they're told. But the director of officiating and also people like Coley Campbell, they're responsible for this kind of stuff. And when they're giving confusing directions or taking back something, changing things mid-season, it's very difficult for those really professional guys who are at least trying to be super professional at their jobs to, to deal with that. It's very difficult. And overall, the league does want fewer penalties called. It's very clear the trend. We're in the lowest era of power plays in the history of the NHL as far as that's been tracked. 
So when they call those makeup, we're not necessarily makeup calls, but those even up calls, the game management tactics, it has a bigger impact than ever before. Power plays are more lethal before than ever before, and there are fewer the, fewer of them doled out. So when you're going to call it, if you're not going to call the rule book, you got to call the ones that actually matter. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they need a clean up from top to bottom. As, as like you said, Coley Campbell, Stephen Walkham, all those guys. I think they they need a clean up there, and they need to go younger, and they need to go with fresh ideas. He's Andrew Berkshire joining us from the Montreal Gazette on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Okay, look, we we know that the traditional stats uh, that we look at they're not overly impressive for Eric Stahl. A lot of that has to do with Buffalo. Uh, I'm sure he's regressed as he's gotten older a little bit as well. But in terms of the advanced metrics, what's caught your eye? And what catches your eye with with Stahl, particularly this season? Well, I looked at Stahl when Buffalo first traded for him in the summer in pretty ridiculous detail. And what I found was that his last year in Minnesota, he really struggled. Uh, he's been a guy who I think people started to write him off in his last year in Carolina before he was traded to the Rangers. And his underlying numbers were fantastic. And then I, I remember when he went up to unrestricted free agency that year, and I was like, Bergevin's got to sign this guy because he's going to go for less than what he's worth, and he's going to score a lot. And lo and behold, he goes to Minnesota, and he scored a ton. And, yeah. you know, new lease on life, right? But his last year in Minnesota, numbers kind of went into the tank, but the scoring numbers were still strong. So kind of the opposite situation. So I looked in, like, why is this happening? And it turns out literally every single guy that Stahl had chemistry with, with the Wild, was treated out while they were, like, kind of blowing up the team and resetting. So, like, Zucker... He had chemistry with like all all these guys that they sent out. Uh, Granlund, he had great chemistry with. He got they sent to Nashville, and he never got put with anybody who really worked with him after that. So it was like this constant situation where any anytime you got chemistry with a guy, they were sent out the door. And it was like no wonder he okayed the trade to Buffalo. He just wanted the chance to play with somebody who he could play with. And I think there's enough uh, versatility in the Canadians lineup that he's going to find somebody pretty easily. I think he's still a really good player. He's still driving play in Buffalo, which is hard enough to do. Uh, the scoring numbers are going to tick up. I think you're, we're going to see a lot of the same things that we like about Corey Perry. We'll see about Eric Stahl, where it's like, you know, he's not the player that he once was. But every game, you're going to see a few of those smart plays where you're like, oh, this guy used to be a superstar. That's why. Look at that thing that he just did. So few players are able to do that. And I think we'll see that with Eric Stahl. Do you think they can play together? Like, would you play them together? I wouldn't. Perry and Stahl, sorry. It, I, I wouldn't just to, to keep the speed high on the team. You know, like Eric Stahl's not necessarily super slow, but he's not as fleet of foot as he would be normally. And I think you spread that experience throughout the lineup a little bit. I think, you, I think ideally, I know uh, Bergevin mentioned he's a center, but right now I would use Stahl with Nick Suzuki and try to get him going a little bit again, give him some experience, a guy who can sub in for him on faceoffs if you need to, uh, who has played this center game and can teach him, you know, the the lumps that come with playing with it. You know, like Suzuki's really been struggling lately. So I think you, you kind of use Stahl to get him going, and I, that would be what I would do. And Perry can kind of float basically where he has been between the third and fourth lines, the odd shifts with the second, and killing it on the power play. Is Andrew Berkshire of the Montreal Gazette joining us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Uh, just based on what you've seen, Eric Stahl, can he, I know the power play has been good, uh, but can he help in that area, you think? Uh, he, he might be able to. Um, I don't think that he's like a premier sniper. Like He might play a similar style as Corey Perry in terms of like just being a net front guy and 
it, what, it, what we might see is a situation where, you know, Perry's on wave one, Stahl's on wave two on the, the net front guys, and it frees up Gallagher a little bit to drift into the low slot or high slot to try to take some shots from further out where, you know, he's honed his shot quite a bit in the last several years. So it, it could be a situation like that, save Gallagher's body a little bit as well. So we'll see. I just don't see him as a huge impact guy. John? Yeah, Andrew, I wanted to touch on the uh, the guy that uh, Mark Bergevin wants to uh, doesn't want to acknowledge he's going to sign in the next seventy two hours, but is probably going to sign in the next seventy two hours. Uh, Cole Caulfield finishes his season with Wisconsin on Friday, thirty goals in thirty one games, just a ridiculous college season. Uh, my first question for you on him is: uh, American Hockey League or right to the big time? I can't see a scenario where. He goes to the AHL. I mean, it's, it's weird because the Canadians are already so deep at forward. I kind of feel bad for Michael for a league right now. Where like you've got the stall trade that just happened, and then maybe Caulfield comes in. But the Canadians need scoring right now. Uh, it's probably their biggest issue. They they've just haven't really been able to consistently outscore opponents. Uh, outside of the last two games, both goaltenders have been really solid since the coaching change. So it, it's it's a tough situation where you're finally getting one thing working and then the scoring kind of dries up and, you know, Tyler Toffoli is injured. He'll probably be back soon. But uh, I think Cole Caulfield's talent is just so ridiculous. Like, I don't know if the guy, if the Canadians have had a, a player with this kind of nose for the net since, like, I don't even know, before Riche. Like, you know, <laughs> you're going back to, like, Steve Shutt, Guy Lafleur kind of stuff. Like, obviously I'm not saying he's going to pan out that way. Like, in an ideal world with his, like, limited size, you're looking at, hey, if he could be Max Pacioretty, goal-scoring-wise, fantastic. But yeah. just the talent that he has, the deceptiveness of his shot, it's ridiculous. He's got kind of those like Austin Matthews tendencies, if you watch his stick blade, where it's like you don't know where that puck's going. So it's really tantalizing to see what he can do. I think the big question for the Canadians is if they want to drop him into this season and, you know, like really put that kind of pressure on him, like reignite the offense. It's a lot to put on a kid, but he looks like he could do it. I, I'm, I'm curious to see, because I thought it was interesting. Listen, Mark Bergevin didn't call Caulfield Alex Ovechkin, but but he says he was Ovechkin-like, which I, I thought it was interesting for him to say that out loud. Um, the other thing is, like, if you want to bring in another entry-level contract, that's great. But I think somebody's got to go here, uh, Andrew. Yeah. I mean, it's tight. I don't even think they have the money to bring Byron off the taxi squad. I know everyone's pointing to a potential, you know, Byron uh, trade somewhere else. But there's a lot of term left on that deal. I personally think the guy who might be on his way out is Arturi Lekin. And I think there'd be some demand for that player. Yeah, I think you could find a, a spot for Arturi Lekin somewhere. I mean, anybody who has, like, some defensive prowess like him. And he's kind of been on and off this season. Uh, he hasn't really put it together. I think it's a real big shame that Lekkonen's goal scoring never translated from the, the Swedish league. Uh, he just looked like he had like Gallagher potential for goal scoring, and mm-hmm. it just hasn't worked out that way. But maybe in a second spot, he figures it out a little bit. He just hasn't been able to put it together for the Canadians. Uh, I really like Lekkonen, but he does look like a guy who could be on the way out. I think that uh, you look at the you try to read the tea leaves a little bit and as much as you know victor mete hasn't been able to consistently get in the lineup or earn a spot once he's been in there in very limited opportunities i don't think they make a trade 
on defense, like to move somebody out because they're just yeah. after Mete, it gets pretty thin, right? Like, I don't think anybody really thinks that Kale Fleury is going to be a regular guy this year. So, I it has to come from the forwards, right? They've just got too many of them. Yeah, I'm with you. Thanks for doing this, Andrew, man. Appreciate it and enjoy the rest of your weekend. My pleasure, guys. Talk to you soon. That's Andrew Berkshire. He's a contributor and NHL analyst for the Montreal Gazette. That's that's the next domino for me, John. I, I want to see who's on the way out. Again, Lekkonen's had a hard time getting into the lineup, and he's done a lot of the things since he's been back in. He's done a lot of those things that he does well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it hasn't really translated to offense, playing next to Kotkaniemi, and I just think he the, the contract expires after this season. He's a restricted free agent, so he's not a pure rental, and I, just, I think there's always going to be uh, coaches that appreciate his style of play, and that's why I think he's going to be the next one uh, out the door if they do want to make some salary cap space. I think he's the most likely to go uh, just because I think there'll be takers there. Um, I And the, the waiver wire doesn't support this claim, but I'll say it anyway. I really do think that it's that it's Paul Byron um, just because of the fact that he's on the fourth line right now. He's making um, almost, or is it just under $3.5 million? Um would you I, would you trade a first to get rid of Paul Byron? Because honestly, I wouldn't. Tra- I, I, wouldn't I think tra- that's what it's going to take. Yeah, I wouldn't trade a first. I would definitely consider trading a second, just because I, I don't know if that gets it done. I though. think that we're. I it, it might not. It, it, you're not wrong, and I mean the Canadians have so many prospects that you could even combine something in that respect where it, it wouldn't be ideal. But if you were to trade someone like a. Uh, I don't know, someone who's playing very well in Laval right now, a, uh, a Josh Brook or a Leskinen or something like that. I mean, I, I don't know what it's going to take, but I, I'm seeing the reemergence of the Deneau, Gallagher, Tatar line. I think that the appetite for Mark Bergevin is there to bring back both Tatar and and, uh, and Deneau. And if he's able to figure out some kind of salary cap quandary before uh, the uh, – before the trade deadline, even I, I think he's going to take that uh, take that chance and look at someone like an Arizona or an Ottawa or someone in that situation to potentially um, move Paul Byron. And then the, the fact that you bring in Cole Caulfield right there, because I'm with Andrew that uh, I usually subscribe to the exact same uh, methodology that uh, Gord Miller subscribes to, which is dominate at an age group and then potentially you can get to the National Hockey League. I think he's a NHL ready player. And uh, I think that if you were to swap out the speed of Caulfield for the sweet for the speed of Byron, I think it wouldn't necessarily be a, a negative uh, in the near future, and obviously a big positive going forward. Yeah, I mean, we'll see if he can make the jump straight to the NHL. Look, we saw Wisconsin go out uh, against Bemidji State, and Caulfield scored two goals. Uh, you mentioned the stat: it's thirty goals in thirty-one games. Uh, with Wisconsin in the Big Ten this year. I mean, it's just those numbers are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, he's going to be, you know, he's going to at least be in the running uh, for the Hobie Baker Award. So uh, I think he's going to make an impact at some point. I, I don't know if he's going to be a difference maker as soon as this season, but if he is, but if, if he can bring you some scoring at five on five and then just that wicked one timer on the power play. Man, that makes a heck of a difference. And if he's playing alongside an Eric Stahl or even a Corey Perry, I, I think that has the, the the opportunity to be scared. It's just, to me, I, I hate counting my chickens before they're hatched when it comes to prospects. Like, I, I think he's going to be a good player. I just, I don't know if at 20 years old, you know, at 5'7", 160, whatever pounds, 
you know, I, I don't know that he's going to be able to make the leap this year after playing a full college season under his belt. Maybe he can. Uh, maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But, man, it's just it's a scary proposition. And, and I think where this kind of benefits the Canadians is that they're, we know the salary cap situation. We've been talking about it enough. They're probably not going to be able to add somebody unless, you know, a big-time salary goes out, which I just I, I think it's going to be tough to do right now. Um, but that is a deadline acquisition. Like that is somebody who you're adding to your lineup. And, and again, even if you do make these deadline acquisitions, sometimes you get a big name and it doesn't work out. You know, you look at what Arizona did a couple of years ago, that was before the trade deadline, but they went out and got Taylor Hall and it, it didn't work out. It didn't translate into a long playoff run, but mm -hmm. with Caulfield, it could work. It could not this year. And I think the, the luxury is that even if it doesn't work this year, long term you think it's going to work and, and you don't throw anything out the window just because it doesn't work this year if that's how it plays well out. that's the so, thing is that not only that the the fact that they have so much depth i mean just look at the i don't know what your expectations are let's say caulfield gets signed in the next couple of days and and um and mark bergevay says yeah he's coming right up to the big club uh, no expectations if he goes down to laval that's fine i mean what are your expectations for the remainder of the season if he scores if he scores three, four, five goals, that's a fantastic return for me because, again, there's zero expectations on him this year. If you look at the guys that we just spoke of, Paul Byron and Arturi Lekkinen, up until this point, they've scored two goals each. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. not like like he could be in a very limited role playing third or fourth line for the Canadians. He could be a bigger difference maker than either one of those players down the stretch. Yeah. I, I think what's interesting, and and I spoke when we spoke to Pierre Maguire yesterday on Melnick in the afternoon. I asked him. I said, if, assuming Caulfield signs, makes the jump, who would you like to see him play with? Because in my mind, I'm kind of thinking like you, like bottom six role, but you throw him out there on the power play, and that's where he can make his biggest difference. Right. But I asked Pierre Maguire, who do you see him, or who would you like to see him play with? And Pierre said, I'd like to see him play with Nick Suzuki. And that that's like that's not like hey we're gonna shelter you and like bring you along slowly. Mm -hmm. You're playing with Nick Suzuki and Jonathan Drouin. Like that's <laughs> that's pretty aggressive. But if this guy can handle it and you can't throw that possibility out the window just yet, I mean you're you if if he can handle that, you've added a top six forward. So I, I'm skeptical about that. Would I love to see them play together? Would I love to see the Canadians try it? Yes, I'm right there with Pierre. But I don't know that he's ready for that in the like in the moment, in the present moment. But I, I'm so fascinated by the way they're going to handle this situation because, again, like I mentioned with Andrew Berkshire before, Mark Bergevin says he does have some Ovechkin-like traits. And I found it funny that he threw that name in particular out there. He, he didn't say he's the next Ovechkin. He just said that he, he kind of has a similar game in the way uh, that they have a nose for the net. So uh, the expectations are already high enough. And I think that just might have raised them a little bit. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. I, see, for me, it's just like we've seen maybe over the last week or two that Jesperi Kakinami and Nick Suzuki's ice time have kind of become more um, even, uh, especially as Suzuki has kind of dipped uh, before a, a couple games before this break. But it, to me, uh, Jesperi Kakinami was not getting more than 15 minutes of ice time. If you put Cole Caulfield right there on his wing, and you move Yoel Armia down to play with uh, with Eric Stahl or Corey Perry or Arturi Lekkinen or whoever it is, 
I mean, that's a pretty sheltered existence for a guy. And not only that, I think Dominic Ducharme, we've seen one of his strengths is in-game rotation. You want to throw him up there with Suzuki for a couple shifts, that's perfectly fine. But that's the thing is that I, I, I don't feel like the expectations are out of control for this season. I think next year you have to really manage expectations for him in a full 82-game schedule that you're looking for. But are is Cole Caulfield coming in here to save the Montreal Canadiens season? No. no. He's coming in here to play a bit part role, and you expect that he's going to score more than Paul Byron and Arturi Lekkinen. Those are my expectations for him this year. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I think those are fair expectations. Uh, Saturday Sports, TSN 690, closing moments of the show. Joey Alfieri and John Still. I uh, just want to uh, wrap up our poll question, uh, which you can find at Joey Alfieri and at TSN 690 on Twitter. Uh, whose career would you rather have right now? Eric Stahl, Corey Perry, and Shea Weber. Corey Perry wins this hands down 60.3%. Eric Stahl second at 23.5%. Shea Weber at 16.2%. Again, I mentioned I think all three are Hall of Famers, and this is no slight on Shea Weber, but I think when people considered answering this question uh, they look at who had a stanley cup ring and who didn't and of course stall and perry both have one perry also has a heart trophy and he played all those years in california so i think that's why Corey perry wins i was a Corey perry guy uh you went with perry as well right because of the socal uh, the whole socal thing socal and uh i do uh i like the uh the the fact that he is a very annoying person it's uh it's fantastic it's <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's something i very much love in my hockey players that they have no problem uh pissing guys off on the on the ice the worm all right uh thanks for uh, everybody who chimed in on the text message board and uh, on twitter uh really appreciate the interaction uh thanks to you john still for putting together this fantastic show uh if you missed any part of it if you missed our conversation with tsn racing analyst tim haraney or our conversation with the montreal gazette's andrew berkshire uh, you can find it on uh, the saturday sports podcast page uh which uh, you can download the full podcast commercial free uh, anywhere that you normally get your podcast, so Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Play, wherever. Wherever you get your podcast, that's where you can find the entire show. Uh, and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend, everybody. We'll be back next week. Have a good one.